0: Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Shimmers Day, May 22nd, 2023. On the show today, news, surveys, and listener questions. Then in our main segment, Jim talks about the Indiana Jones Summer of Hidden Mysteries promotion at Disneyland Park in 2008. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says that maybe next time is never the proper response to a wedding invitation, no matter how right you are. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? (laughs) That's great.
1: (laughs) You ever hear the story about uh, George Bernard Shaw and Sir Winston Churchill, the the, the Prime Minister of England? George Bernard Shaw was the Prime Minister of England? Well, uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) As the story goes, supposedly Shaw had a a new show opening in in London's West End. And as a courtesy, he invites the Prime Minister to come to the opening. But since... Shaw didn't always agree with Churchill's politics. He couldn't resist, including a jab with the invite. So the, this is supposedly the note that Shaw sent to Churchill. I am reserving two tickets for you for my premiere. Come and bring a friend if you have one. And <laughs> t- <laughs> Winston's response was just as good. He gave as good as he got. And he said, to present for the f- first performance. We'll attend the second
0: if there is one. <laughs> It's just beautiful. Uh, yeah, the uh, the wit that both of them had, fantastic.
1: Yeah, yeah. That, it's one of those things where supposedly the both of them denied
0: it later in life. But again, you really want that one to be true. Truly. Mm-hmm. All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout-out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers Matt Miller, John Chai, Lee Shabazian, and Thomas Gecko. And longtime subscribers Chris and Erica Heisel, Emlet, Angie Muma and JNC12. Jim, these are the cast members who wanted to add a Haunted Mansion themed show element outside the ride to explain how to use Ginny Plus to new guests. But their first attempt, adding a holographic Grim Reaper character that could only be seen by some guests, was in retrospect not the best idea. But the additional <laughs> defibrillator training everyone got will come in handy again one day. True story.
1: You see the Grim Reaper, right? (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, speaking of which, you you did see.
0: No, Grandpa, I don't. (laughs) Go
1: ahead. <laughs> well, did you see during the King Charles coronation stuff that it turns out that there were a number of people who watching the live broadcast, it's a Grim Reaper, just came through and evidently, no, it was some sort of uh, assistant during the coronation uh, who handled some of the, the churchier aspects, but so he would blend into the background. He literally wore the a black robe with a cowl. Oh, jeez. But again, for a lot of people at home, it's like, well, okay. This
0: explains a lot of things. It explains a lot of things. (laughs) Man, the the British Marquis is just weird. (laughs) All right, folks, let's do the news. The Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, Jim, Disney's announced two new ticket discounts this week. Hmm. a four-park magic ticket, which costs $99 per day, and does not require park reservations. And that's uh, valid for uh, admission starting June 1st and going through the end of September. Wow. Which is interesting. So, uh, So $99 per day doesn't require park reservations summer of 2023. Also, there's a Florida resident deal where tickets begin at $58 per day, valid now through, again, the end of September. I have questions. We're, we're dis- throwing all of the heavy things off of the ship, Jim, <laughs> in order to lighten it. <laughs> wow!
1: I yeah. would have thought Tron: Light Cycle Run would at least have bought them some
0: interest, something. Yeah, yeah. something. Oh my yeah. god! the uh, The four park magic ticket is kind of interesting because it runs all summer, mm-hmm. and that price is a like a twenty percent discount. You know, mm-hmm. for for some days. The, the thing that surprises me is, mm-hmm. a little bit, is this. It, it extends from June, the beginning of June, through the end of September. And the beginning of June is typically one of those time periods where everyone's just out of school and everyone heads to Walt Disney World for their big summer vacation. The first couple of weeks of June are traditionally busy, no matter what year we look at. Now, we know that the middle part of summer has been getting less and less crowded mm-hmm. over the years. You know, pandemic stuff aside, when all of that is just wonky. But like before the pandemic, we had noticed year over year that summer attendance was kind of soft mm-hmm. in Walt Disney World, and this is understandable to anyone who's ever been either to the surface of the sun or to Central Florida in in July. Same thing, right? But to see to see this running all of summer mm-hmm. through the end of September, which includes Labor Day again, mm-hmm. not a traditionally busy time. Yeah, that's uh. And please come to our parks. Let's also remember, given.
1: The layoffs we've seen in the tech sector and that drumbeat, are we, are we going to have a recession? I mean, there are a lot of people being cautious about yeah, how they yeah. spend.
0: But True. Boy. Yeah, but, the, but, but that's a good ticket deal. If you uh, if you were thinking about a, a Disney World trip, but you put mm-hmm. it off, I mean, that's, that's a good deal on tickets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, Jim, and I, and I mentioned this next thing because we've got a couple of listener questions about it. Mm-hmm. Disney's after-hours events at Hollywood Studios have sold out for this week. And that makes 14 consecutive sold-out events this year, going all the way back to the first event on January 4th. Mm-hmm. And Jim, the the question that listeners have is this. Will there be after-hours events for July and the rest of the summer since they've not been announced yet? And Jim, based on what we just said, mm-hmm. uh, and the fact that these are selling out, I think it's going to be really hard for Disney not to keep doing these, given that they sell out and the extra revenue is nice nice to have, right? Mm-hmm. Plus, you got to think that a lot of people are going to want to Tour the parks at night in July, rather than during the oh, day. Oh God, yeah, God, yeah. And then
1: to factor in what you've been saying about Rise of the Resistance, you know how how
0: long it's down during the day. Typically, oh, I have a whole. I'm, I'm so I'm researching an entire thing about downtime at Disney. I will, I will as soon as I get a uh, confirmation from some sources, I will uh, I will update you on this. But yeah. there are implications to that that we haven't talked about that are uh, that are super interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, can't wait for that story, uh, Jim. Another park news. Uh, I was moderately surprised last week to see that Victorian Alberts didn't get a Michelin star, and I was actually at the restaurant mm-hmm. during the Michelin ceremony. I wore an ascot, <sighs> true, oh. but not a monocle. Okay. Wow. So, so the first question is, is why? Mm-hmm. Why not? Right? Why didn't they get a star? I think we all know that V&A has good food, and Michelin knows it too. That's why they're actually mentioned mm-hmm. in the guide. So the question is, why didn't they get a star? And the people that I'm talking to have come up with a couple of ideas. The main ones are around timing. Mm -hmm. So the restaurant's only been reopened for nine months. Mm -hmm. And they have a new chef, and the new chef has only been in place for nine months. Mm -hmm. So the most likely scenario is that wasn't enough time for Michelin to do enough reviews to be comfortable with the restaurant and the new chef. So... Typically, Michelin does two or three reviews mm-hmm. uh, for an award cycle. Assuming that they gave the restaurant a couple of months after its late July opening to get up and running mm-hmm. and to sort of get the, uh, have the kitchen, get their sea legs under them. That means they really only had six months to do three reviews. And it's not like they're just sitting around waiting for, you know, reservations to become available. They've got a bunch of other restaurants to review in Central Florida. So the timing most likely mm-hmm. didn't work out there. The other thing is, is that they just might want to see the restaurant open longer with a new chef before a Stars. Nine months is kind of uh, not a lot of time. No, no, that, that definitely makes sense. The other uh, thing that it could be is if you look at like value for money, mm-hmm. which is one of the four categories that Michelin rates uh, restaurants on. I mean, it's easy for dinner at Victorian Alberts to cost over a thousand dollars, which is very close to the cost of a three-star restaurant that Michelin uh, rates otherwise, right? So Disney's not really synonymous with value for money, so they could be getting almost no points in that category, which could be bringing them down. This just
1: reminds me of our well, the Bandcamp exclusive we posted recently, our, our attempt to walk around the left side of Seven Seas Lagoon, and we're actually going to talk about that. We have a, we have a listener question on it when it oh, comes cool. up, so yeah, so it's so a good okay. But I right, just but first, yeah, go ahead. I want I just remember standing outside of victoria and albert and you talk about that very same issue that what it costs to go to victoria and albert you know the notion of it's still wonderful but is it a value
0: yeah it's priced like a michelin three-star restaurant Mm -hmm. so they really need to get those stars to justify those costs for a lot of things especially if there are other restaurants nearby that actually have stars that cost less Mm -hmm. yeah all right, so let's do a survey real quick. Okay. On last week's show, we mentioned that Disney's bringing back the dining plan for 2024. And listener Kate Giasante got an EPCOT survey recently that focused on dining. And it included some updated options to questions that we've seen before. But I want to get everyone's thoughts, and especially your thoughts, hmm. on what Disney might do with this information. So one of the questions, again, we've seen this before, is, why did you not buy any food or beverages from a table service restaurant for your primary breakfast during your visit on the specific day she was there, Mm. right? So a couple of the options we've seen before, like I wasn't there long enough to sit and eat Mm. at a table service restaurant, which makes sense if you're going to the parks, right? But there were a couple of of options there. One is I wanted to save my appetite for another meal. Mm -hmm. It didn't fit into my budget. Mm. It takes too long to eat in a table service restaurant. And the total cost of food and beverages is too high, and there was an identical question uh, like this for lunch, mm-hmm. where uh, Kate ate at a quick service restaurant. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think? What do you think Disney's doing with that vis-a-vis the um, the dining plan, right? Well,
1: I can't help but think what we just talked about on the last episode of Disney Dish when when you offered the touring plan for Animal Kingdom and stressed the importance of getting into the park early and getting all the way back and doing Pandora. So, you know, you could do Flight of Passage and Navi River Adventure. Mm -hmm. With that sort of idea drummed into people's heads about how to make the best use of your time during your Walt Disney World vacation. Disney faces a real challenge here about convincing people to come into a restaurant early in the day, sit down, have a breakfast. It's like, no, I could, the the amount of time I would spend sitting here, I can get in five attractions before the crowds get into the park.
0: (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially in the morning, yeah, it's just not a great use. But it's funny you mentioned that because I got an email from a listener Mm -hmm. who said, when we were talking about the, the Animal Kingdom Touring Plan, mm-hmm. we don't normally show up to the park until 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. Can you do a version of the Touring Plan that starts at 10 a.m.? Yeah. And I got to think, Jim, if you're showing up at 10 a.m., mm-hmm. you are probably not sitting down for a two-hour meal during the day in the Animal Kingdom. Oh, no. no. Because the park's not open that long, mm-hmm. right? You're, yeah. So that that could be another thing. the The fact that most guests don't arrive at a park for opening mm-hmm. combined with you know, shorter hours for things like the animal kingdom, means you, you can't fit a longer meal. Yeah. yeah.
1: If I got that same uh, message, isn't, isn't this the family with the 15 year old? So if the fact that they're at the park at 10 a.m., I, I applaud that.
0: Still a minor miracle right <laughs> there. There you yeah. go, so. Yeah, the other question that I like from, from Kate's survey was this, why did you spend more than you expected on food or beverages in the parks? And the one that jumped out at me here, mm-hmm. was the, the way that Kate answered was, New menu items offered. Mm-hmm. So do you think that Disney sees this and says, you know what, if new menu items are driving additional spending mm-hmm. at the parks, we're going to throw out a new cupcake every, every day or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like to, to what extent do you think that influences how many new menu items show up in the parks?
1: If we're talking about Epcot, and remember, you know, we have our World Discovery, World Nature, you know, a World Celebration, rethink of Future World coming with additional show kitchens and food purchasing opportunities toward the front of the park. That park is being reinvented as the party park, you know, the, the you know the seasonal event park. So with that many show kitchens and that many opportunities to. Present new foods as, you know, literally as a drive by, you know, somebody walking by looking into those open kitchen outdoor booths. And it's like, ooh,
0: that looks cool. I want one of those. That could be where they test things. Yeah, that that totally makes sense. There we go. Mm All right, Jim, let's do some listener questions. Here's one from Alex, Mm -hmm. and it's for you. Mm -hmm. And Alex writes in and says, Jim's mentioned Disney's massive Fox debt several times in recent weeks. I feel like I don't see Fox's content on Disney services, I don't see it in the parks. And I often forget that Disney even owns Fox. Mm-hmm. Now that the dust has settled, what do the Disney insiders think about the acquisition of Fox? You have to understand there was a business plan
1: in place for okay, for fifty-four billion dollars, we can make this work. We get Star, we get all of the Star Wars, we get the X-Men, you know, so we can bring and yes. clothe those into the MCU, and and we get the Simpsons. And then there was, of course, the Fox Television Library and the Film Library, which was, again, problematic because a lot of it's in black and white and there's a lot yeah. of R-rated material, which wasn't necessarily going to be a good fit for Disney+. Plus. So they are still trying to get their arms around it. There's also the Fox lot in Los Angeles, which is a huge oh. swath of real estate that the company does not necessarily still need. And, you know, it's sort of they could mitigate the debt by selling off some of that. So, I mean, it's still an ongoing situation which wasn't helped by the pandemic. And, you know, that set everything, you know, three years behind schedule. So and just between the way Disney was handling the Fox debt under Chapek versus the more nuanced way that it's now being handled under Iger, Kind of a still evolving
0: situation. So when Disney acquired uh, Fox, they also took on like somewhere between thirteen and twenty billion dollars of twenty first century Fox's debt, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I think Disney also took on some debt of its own to buy it. Right. Mm-hmm. So the uh, I think our friend Drew Taylor says mm-hmm. Disney took on forty five billion in debt mm-hmm. to buy Fox. That's a lot of Treehouse of Horrors uh, viewing on, on Disney Plus, right? It is, <laughs> yeah, okay.
1: but it was also in this ever consolidating world, uh, you know, where content is king. It's like it was almost one of the situations of how can we not afford to go after that? Yeah how of, How often
0: does something like Fox come up? For there you go. Right? There we go. Okay, uh, another uh, email. On a recent show, we talked about the Disney MGM Studios Star of the Day promotion. Mm-hmm. And the listener Jeremy Muse sent in a number of photos of how this event worked mm-hmm. with actress Kelly Williams from Family Matters. Mm-hmm. So Jim, based on Jeremy's photos of Miss Williams, you were right. Mm-hmm. There was a short parade, yep. a cement ceremony, mm-hmm. and then a QA and a session. Yep. My question is this, and there's a photo that I threw into the show notes mm-hmm. here of Miss Williams being uh, placed in a car mm-hmm. and driven around. But Jim, where's this photo taken? I can't. I can't figure it out because there's a red carpet there. Is this in front of the theater? Well, yes, actually. It, it, okay. If you look, looming in the
1: background, you see the the blue marquee of Superstar okay. Television. So, what they've done, and this is the earlier iteration of the layout of the studio. Remember when you could look from above and see, you know, Mickey's face. So, yeah. the green thing just behind the white convertible here—that that's one of Mickey's ears.
0: Get front oh. of the chinese theater cuz i'm looking at the, i'm looking at this photo and the first thing that jumps out at me is there is nowhere in the studios today mm-hmm. that has this many trees yeah <laughs> there's just there is no landscaping like that right now in a disney theme park yeah. in florida yeah. wow yeah. how about that okay you yeah. know
1: but but anyway the, the way the route would work is for the parade leading up to the or motorcade excuse me Leading up to mm-hmm. the Cement Hands ceremony, uh, car would come out uh, next to Guest Relations, down by Crossroads of uh, the World. It would uh, car would come up Hollywood Boulevard and you know waving to the folks en route. It would then, as you see, uh, drive around the planter thing in the center of okay. the plaza in front of the Chinese Theater. On the left hand side, the celebrity would get out, walk the red carpet, stand in front of a square form filled with cement that'd be on a table so they could stand upright and press their hands into the cement that way, stand there long enough to take photos. Depending on how they did it, most of the times they started off with the Q&A over at the Theater of the Stars before they did the motorcade. However, evidently in later oh. years, they found it made more sense. You know, they the, a crowd would gather for the handprint yeah, ceremonies, yeah. and it was just a, it, relatively easy then to just drive the celebrity over to the Hollywood theater, and the crowd would follow, and then you know you'd have this theater full of people who were there to ask you know questions of the celebrity. I mean, again, they mutated it over the years, you know, as they sure. observed what people would do
0: when. That totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, other than the uh, complete proliferation of trees mm-hmm. in the 1990s, the other thing I got out of this photo that Jeremy sent in was. Pleated pants were a thing mm-hmm. back in the 90s, and I always forget that. Yeah, all right. Anyway. All right, Jim. So on a recent Bandcamp mm-hmm. exclusive episode, you and I mm-hmm. walked along the Magic King Resort loop. Like you had mentioned this earlier in the show. Mm-hmm. And we also talked about the closure of the walkway between the Shades of the Green Resort and Disney's mm-hmm. Polynesian Resort. And, Jim, we apparently wandered into a really big hornet's nest there mm-hmm. with several listeners writing in to ask for help. Mm-hmm. So here's the issue. Uh, until recently, military families staying at Shades of Green could walk mm-hmm. across the two-lane road, Floridian Way, which turns into World Drive, mm-hmm. and either walk to the Magic Kingdom or to the TTC to catch a monorail to Epcot. Yeah. Right, but that walking path, as you and I pointed out, mm-hmm. closed permanently in the last few weeks. So, along with the Polynesian DVC construction, mm-hmm. Disney's widening Flor- that part of Floridian Way mm-hmm. from two lanes to a four-lane divided highway. Mm-hmm. And because they don't want pedestrians crossing that four-lane divided highway for safety reasons, there's not going to be a crosswalk anymore there. Mm -hmm. So listener Anna Seekins wrote in to explain how this affects families staying at Shades of Green. Mm -hmm. And she says, As a military family that frequently stays at Shades of Green, my family is incredibly disappointed by this news. We use that walkway several times each trip, either to go and use Disney transportation at the Magic Kingdom or to eat a meal or a snack at the Polynesian. Mm -hmm. Having the walkway eliminated will add considerable inconvenience to future vacations. And this is particularly true for families with disabled veterans and those with small children and strollers who have difficulty with buses and like having a non-bus option. And it goes on to say, I've been dissatisfied with the responses to the situation, both by Shades of Green and Disney. It seems as though some compromise could be reached. Disney could agree to build a bridge over the new wider road and Shades of Green could share the expense. Or Disney could allow Shades of Green guests to have free parking at the theme parks. Um, so uh, I went back and researched this, Jim, and it turns out that Shades of Green has added more buses mm-hmm. to the TTC, which is sort of a compromise. My guess here is uh, that uh, a pedestrian bridge is huge and complicated and mm-hmm. will take up a lot of space on the other side of the road, which may not exist to begin with. Mm-hmm. And a pedestrian bridge, because think about it, like uh, trucks would have to be able to go under the pedestrian bridge. Mm-hmm. And a pedestrian bridge might not be the visual element that Disney wants guests to see from its expensive deluxe resorts. Also, I noted that as part of this widening of the road, Mm -hmm. Disney is apparently going to remove the traffic light that's currently at the Grand Floridian right now. Because my my first thing was like, well, why don't we just put a crosswalk in Mm -hmm. at the Grand Floridian? There's already a stoplight there. We'll just go do that. But it turns out, Jim, they're going to remove that stoplight and turn it into like a roundabout, which I had not known before. Wow. So I get that, right? That's, the stoplight creates congestion. Mm-hmm. The roundabouts will alleviate congestion. I get why they want to widen the road. Mm-hmm. I totally understand that. On the other hand, it doesn't seem like there was a whole lot of consideration for the shades of green guests that were going to be affected by this. I mean, not for nothing, but Disney did build pedestrian bridges for Disney Springs
1: Resort They guests. did. They did. But here's a key issue, Linda, that you haven't discussed yet. Only okay. service members are, are allowed to stay. At Shades of Green. When sure. Disney made the deal with the military, it was a 99 year lease of the old Disney Inn golf resort, you know, that sort of thing. The understanding mm-hmm. was that's for our, our service members. And so that's one of the only resorts that you and I haven't wandered around. In fact, as a, a former service member myself, I keep thinking, I, I'm allowed to go there. Why haven't we gone there yet? So the issue of a building a pedestrian bridge is, don't get me wrong, it would be lovely that if members, service members could get over this now four lane highway, but then you have to deal with the issue of the, the guests at the Poly and, and the brand new Poly DVC right next door who, who could also use this bridge to walk over to Shades of Green only to be told, I'm sorry, you're not a service member, turn around and go back.
0: Oh, oh I didn't think of that, yeah. good point. Yeah, usually when I think of the military, I think of people trying to get out, not people trying to get in. (laughs)
1: Yeah, we don't have have that many reports of people going AWOL from Shades of Green, (laughs) (laughs) though. That's
0: true. All right, right, good point. I mean, I do like uh, uh, one of the ideas that Anna proposes, which is for Disney and Shades of Green to work out some sort of free parking at the theme parks. I
1: like this idea as well. I honestly can't do enough for for your friends who serve. So sure, yes, that's an elegant, an easy solution. Yeah, it seems
0: reasonable. Why why not do that? Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, finally, Jim, uh, I mentioned on last week's show that Disney's looking to make some changes to Genie Plus Mm -hmm. around being able to book in advance. And I said that it would have just been simpler, cheaper three years ago for Disney to say, Mm -hmm. hey, FastPass Plus now costs $25 Mm -hmm. instead of going through all of the rigmarole Around the rollout with Genie Plus. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that a number of listeners strongly prefer Genie Plus to FastPass Plus. And really? here's a representative email. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really. Here's a representative email from listener Melanie Netzel. Mm-hmm. On a lower crowd day, I could still only book three, maybe four FastPass Plus mm-hmm. reservations because my booking window was shorter with a two or four day vacation mm-hmm. than people who had seven to 10 day vacations mm-hmm. and thus could book days before I could. This weekend with Genie Plus, we booked 10 Lightning Lane reservations on Saturday and six on Sunday. We easily could have booked more Sunday if we had park hopped to a third park, mm-hmm. but we wanted to wait for Fantasmic. Mm-hmm. I think stacking allows you to book way more than the old FastPass system did, since people with seven to ten day vacations will always take the priority times for rides over people with shorter vacations. So, Millie, that's actually a great point, and I it think it's is. one of those things that in a, in a, a number of people wrote in to say the exact same thing. So, I think this is one of those issues... That Disney has to address Mm -hmm. and I don't know how they do it because it's always a rolling window, but yeah good point All right, so let's Jim. Let's track this issue and see Mm -hmm. how whatever changes Disney's proposing Mm -hmm. Virginia plus how it how this works with that. Okay, all right folks and then right after Jim and I finished recording our original show for On Thursday we get a flurry of announcements from Disney There were two the first one was that Disney officially canceled its Lake Nona move. Now, Jim, you have a timeline on this, right? Because we've talked about this a few times, right? We have. We have. And this project in particular
1: was something that went forward under Bob Chapek. And it was one of these things where Bob Chapek was trying to sort of impress Wall Street about I can do cool things too. So, you know, so get the announcement that JPEG's going to become the new CEO of of Disney February of 2020. Mm -hmm. Bob Iger's going to hang on as a, a creative executive through 2021. And then in July of the next year, we hear about this, what, 60-acre, 1.8 million-square-foot creative campus. Yep. To be specific here, a lot of people say Lake Nona. Mm-hmm. It was going to be part of the Lake Nona Town Center. Right. When completed, 2,000 jobs, and Disney touted the fact that most of these jobs are going to be high-paying. Average salary was, what, one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Actually, year. that number goes. is not from
0: Disney. That's from the state. Well, there we go. And so, real, real quick, Jim, Lake Nona, uh, just for mm. our our listeners, is about thirty minutes east of Walt Disney World along the mm-hmm. four hundred and seventeen mm-hmm. Expressway. It's like uh, if you if you're heading east for fifteen minutes, you would pass my house in Celebration, and then mm-hmm. fifteen minutes later, you'd be in Lake Nona, directly south of the airport.
1: Yes, and but but the the intriguing thing. Just five minutes south of the airport. In fact, I and I know this because Nancy and I, just ahead of our the Galactic Star Cruiser uh, event. This this is called foreshadowing, folks. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. <Jim. laughs> okay. But yeah, we, we picked up a rental car and went went to visit our friend uh, Angelo, whose house is sitting there, and oh. it was like. Celebration it had a great celebration vibe, but celebration the city, not celebration the small town. Right? I, I gotta tell you, it, it's worth it driving over there, folks, if only for the VA Medical Center, which looks like the setting of you know the next
0: Transformers film. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure those two things have nothing to do with each other, Jim.
1: <laughs> no, 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 not at all. But, but it, it, if there's some place that giant monsters are going to break out of, you know, huge cement buildings, Florida, it's Florida. that place. It's
0: there. It's like that. All right. There so uh, so they announced this in July of 2021. 60 acres, right. 1.8 million square feet, uh, 2,000 mm-hmm. jobs, average salary of 120k. right? Mm-hmm. And, yep. and what was the budget, the build budget that Disney had for this? How much was this going to cost them? The original figure that w-
1: was reported was 864 million dollars, okay. but the thing that got touted because remember this was really controversial because you and I, March of this year, you know when when we did our tour of Imagineering, we went to the Disney's Glendale Creative yep. Campus, yep. which occupied you know all what used to be the old. the the
0: airport there. Right. It's blocks and blocks and blocks and blocks of buildings. It's a lot. That's it. Exactly. You know, but Disney
1: built there with an understanding that it got a, you know, all sorts of tax breaks from, from the city of Glendale, Mm -hmm. likewise the state of California. And that was ultimately what this was really all about. And this is what, you know, how Bob Chapek was sort of touting himself to, to wall street. It's like, well, look, we're going to spend $864 million to build this thing. Mm -hmm. But, over the next 20 years, we're going to get from the state of Florida $570 million worth of tax credits.
0: That's not nothing. Yeah.
1: But then Disney's investment in the Lake Nona Town Center Creative Campus. You know, it happens all the time. It's project creep. It, it it went from the 864 million to now
0: it's a billion, and now it's a billion three. <laughs> yeah, that that seems to be, be the way every Disney project works. There's the the number that they uh, announce with in the in the press release, mm-hmm, and then there's mm-hmm. the number that they deliver. That's it exactly. But but again,
1: phase one. Was supposed to to open next year, two thousand twenty four, sure. and it, to have people on the ground to be supervising construction and getting ready to load in various divisions. And remember, Imagineering was supposed to actually relocate them; its headquarters was going to shift from Glendale to the Lake Nona Town Center. Right. So, just today, in fact, the New York Times reported. That two hundred employees had already relocated. Had
0: already in this moved, thing. Yeah. And, and Disney said they're going to move them back, right? They're going to work with them to move them back.
1: Well, yeah, they, they, but that's the thing. Uh, speaking of, of of moving it back, June sixteenth of, of last year, we learned that the timeline for folks to actually move to Florida, so they could then be, you know, begin working at the Lake Nona Town Center, mm-hmm. had shifted. To 2026, and I remember the, when
0: we when we were talking about this, uh, mm-hmm. we said that that was uh, an exceptionally bad sign for the project. But and be, behind the scenes, you and I were hearing the same thing that basically no one wanted to move. Yeah, yeah, and there was a genuine fear within
1: Imagineering that so much talent. It's understandable. It's like, you know, you own a home in California or you you live near your aging parents right. or you have young kids who are in school that you don't want to uproot and take to Florida. So right. there was resistance. Yeah. And that, that's why I think we only saw 200 people out of 2,000 yeah. <laughs> move in the yeah. first year. Yeah. But again, yes, we were hearing things. And then, of course, in <laughs> November 21st of, of last year, we, we heard a big thing. Yeah. That Bob Chapek was now out as Disney CEO and, and Bob Iker was reinstated.
0: And that's when the uh, the, the show the following week, we had said, mm-hmm. this is this does not bode well for, uh, for Lake Nona. And I think we called it yeah. dead then, yeah. Glenn and I said that. But
1: if we now move to January 2023, We have Disney talking about Lake Nona as if it's still a going concern. In fact, this is the quote coming out of the company, that while a growing number of our employees who ultimately will work at the campus have already made the move to Central Florida, we also want to continue to provide flexibility for those relocating, especially given the anticipated completion date of this campus is now in 2026. Therefore, where possible, we are aligning the relocation period with the campus completion. So we're hearing just three months ago, four months ago, that this is still going on.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is basically saying, look, Cornelius and I are still going to get married at some point. (laughs) But we're going to put off the wedding to some unspecified date. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Okay. 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 So here we are.
1: With yesterday's announcement. and
0: Actually, it's Cornelius and I still planning on getting married at some unspecified date, but we're putting, uh, we're putting off the wedding for now. Uh, by the way, uh, thank you to everyone who's already sent gifts. Yes, that's, that's yeah. more appropriate. <laughs> All right, go ahead. And then well, yesterday.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and remember, this comes on the heels of the earnings call last week, where Bob Iger flat out states, we are looking to invest $17 billion in Florida. We are looking to create 13,000 jobs?
0: 13,000 uh, jobs over that uh, over the 10-year period, yeah. Yeah. Look, I think this project was dead regardless mm-hmm. of what happened. I don't think Disney was ever going to get 2,000 Imagineers to move. But I think two things. One, you are absolutely right that getting young Imagineers who have recently mm-hmm. bought a home in California... Yeah. To, mm-hmm. to trade their 2.5% mortgage for a 7% yep. mortgage, right, yeah. is was going to be problematic no matter what. I mean, the uh, mm-hmm. cash members or imagineers who had equity, maybe mm-hmm. you could convince them that the lower cost of real estate in Florida was worthwhile, right? But for the young imagineers, right, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. who had just bought a house, they were going to lose many hundreds of dollars a month in real money by mm-hmm. changing mortgages, right? And that was always going to be a difficult conversation with them. The second thing is to your point, family was a huge issue, right? It mm-hmm. was, if you've, if you've grown up in California, your family's in California, moving 2,500 miles away is, was gonna be a, a tough sell for Disney no mm-hmm. matter what. But the third thing, Jim, was we heard from a number of people in the company who said, look, I don't wanna move to Florida because of Florida's politics. And I think Disney was never gonna move forward with this, but I think this is a political, they used, the, they used this announcement to help their larger battle, and I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I do not think you are wrong here. Yeah.
1: And having just driven through the Lake Nona town center, both coming and going from where Angela was staying, we, mm-hmm. we actually drove by the site of where the Disney project, you know, the, this 60 uh, acre complex was supposed to be built. And I waved to the cows, Len. Yeah, exactly,
0: yeah. There was no site prep going on. It's tough to be directly south of the airport, for one thing. Mm-hmm. Number two, in yep. a largely a rural area right now, um, it's it's tough to relocate there, right? It's tough to do development because everyone's waiting for the infrastructure to be built. And this mm-hmm. is the kind of project that would have built that infrastructure, right? Yeah. So, so, yeah, yeah I got to feel better for the people in Lake Nona.
1: But on the other hand, having actually been there, visited with Angela, gone to the town center, had a lovely meal at the pizza place there and, and you know toured the town center, it's a beautiful place. Yeah. And, and it would have been a, a really exciting place to work. And, and again, a 60 acre, 1.8 million square foot thing., again, that's significant yeah. that thing, you know, for that to fall off the table. So yeah,
0: it's also tough for uh, you know, for the folks in Central Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, the businesses in Central Florida again. If, if it if it would have happened, you know, mm-hmm. uh, two thousand jobs at one hundred and twenty k a year mm-hmm. is a lot of automobiles to sell, right? So the, I mean, just think of how many uh, how much business car dealerships are losing. Not yeah, to absolutely. mention like realtors, landscaping. Yeah. I mean, just all kinds of home furnishings, all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff. That would have had to the, the, yeah, the ripple tough. effect toward uh,
1: what you were just saying. The fact that we had Iger just last week laying it on the table. Does the governor want us to be doing business in Florida?
0: Yeah. And again, I mean, I mean, Disney's Disney's using this the way that they I expected them to uh, to use it. Right. They they will use every tool at their disposal to win this particular battle. So okay,
1: okay. So. The
0: other thing, Jim, and God, that thing that felt like the gut punch yesterday. Mm-hmm was Disney announced that the Galactic Star Cruiser will close for good after its (sighs) September 28th, 2023 voyage. And, Jim, you and I just did the Mm. Star Cruiser at the end of the month, and this was really a surprise. So this was the point where I got calls Mm. from hedge funds, (laughs) like saying, what's going on here? (laughs) Yeah, which was was really, really interesting. First of all, I don't know how they got my number, but whatever. Okay, you know, but, you know, yeah. But when you and I were on
1: the boat, and I remember what we did, were having dinner with the folks who were nice enough to join us at the event. Yeah. And you pointed out that the Corsillian the Ballroom or, or whatever the, the, the big dining
0: hall there is, is a double-layer setup. Right. It's like a sunken living room. Uh, so, so there's, That's a decline. There, but half the, half the guests are in the sunken area in the main mm-hmm. middle part of the dining room. And then half the guests are roughly in the outside. Jim, when you and I were there the entire outside uh, perimeter was completely unoccupied. And there were, yeah. there were empty tables and, even
1: on the inside. And, and again, Len pointed out, for example, when, when we'd be up in the atrium for the big events on, on both evenings, you were pointing out how, compared to when you went on the very first cruise and it was body to body, where, yeah. you know, we had wonderful clear sight
0: lines for when-, when <laughs> That, that part was nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, uh, the other thing that struck me, because I was thinking about this yesterday, is remember when we were doing bridge training, Mm -hmm. And then we were later on the bridge trying to defend the ship Mm -hmm. from the First Order. And if you remember correctly, there Mm -hmm. weren't enough people on the bridge Mm -hmm. to staff every defense station on the ship. So Mm -hmm. there weren't enough people to staff the shields, Mm -hmm. for example. And the interesting thing to me was, you know, going back and thinking about this was, Mm -hmm. it was never really explained to us in the story how the Mm -hmm. ship survived when no one was staffing the shields, like how did we get through that fight? And I think I think that was that's part of the problem, right? The yeah. ship was the or the the experience was designed mm-hmm. so that it was always going to be completely
1: filled. The irony here, folks, is Len and I next week are, are going to be recording our our Bandcamp exclusive look back at our time on the Galactic Star Cruiser, yeah. and I remember talking about how. I had been at one of the last big events at the Disney Institute. They did uh, an animation celebration from Mulan. In fact, mm-hmm. you know, we were in that big, beautiful theater that they built for, that was going to be the hub for the Disney Institute. And I just remember being in this theater that had been built for five or 600 people and there were 150 of us, you know, just down yeah. at the front. Yeah. And just the sense of wandering around, you know, it's like, we're on borrowed time
0: here we're on borrowed time (laughs) yeah yeah.
1: And, and what i've been told is that galactic star cruiser wound up being sort of if the disney institute and disney quest had a baby that um again the whole notion of there were times of year when the galactic star cruiser was booked solid the place was full it was operating the way it was supposed to but that ultimately became the issue it just between the price point yeah. and the fact that you had 100 hotel rooms that you had to fill at you know five to six thousand dollars a pop for this to
0: to work yeah that that became problematic and, and that was really the issue right if mm-hmm. because disney always positioned this as an immersive experience a mm-hmm. high touch yeah experience yeah. where you're getting you know, not necessarily one-on-one time, but very focused time from the characters. And the way to do that mm-hmm. is to have relatively few hotel rooms, in this case, 100. Mm-hmm. But once you decide on those two things, yep. right? once you decide high-touch, mm-hmm. maximum of 100 rooms, that determines the price, gym. Because anyone who's ever been around hotel development knows this. Mm-hmm. The first hotel room you build costs $250 million. The second one costs 100000 Right. But the first one where you're building the infrastructure, you're running the sewer, the plumbing, the road work, the all the infrastructure, right? That first hotel room is where all of the money goes.
1: Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And, in,
0: and and that's the thing, right? So once they once they decided high touch, hundred rooms to make it high touch, then the costs have to be distributed over just a hundred rooms. Mm-hmm. And that's what keeps it eye. The other thing that was driving it was the the staff itself, right? You had yeah. to have all of those oh. characters living on site, plus backups do living do. on site you during do. every cruise. You did.
1: And already there's a lot of sort of after action talk about this. You yeah. Know, so
0: the, one of the things, that, the, the question I get over and over again, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, the uh, the Daily Herald or NPR question yep. is, is, will they make this into a regular hotel? Is yeah. that the question you're getting? Yeah. What do you think? Well,
1: also, would it have been more successful if it hadn't focused on... The, the last trilogy, did they bet on the right set of characters? Okay. And this actually has been impacting Galaxy's Edge, you know, the whole notion of, right. it's not for nothing, we're seeing, you know, Mando and baby Grogu, or for that matter, Boba Fett and Fennec Shand, you know, the notion of, yeah, people are reasonably excited to see Ray, but they either want their classic characters, they want Han and, and
0: Luke and Leia. Or, or Mando, they, they, Mando and, and baby Grogu, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Also there are a certain number of folks who are grousing there were elements that were actually talked about when they first walked out the Star Wars land how for example the cantina at Star Wars land was also to, was supposed to have a supper show a supper club attached
0: yeah And then that got moved over to the Star Cruiser.
1: And likewise, you and I have stood in the square where they built the area above us for the stunt show, which didn't get installed in Star Wars Land, but is the finale. Of the the show on the Galactic Star Cruiser, how you know they were
0: li- <laughs> not only did we stand there, Jim, but we stood there with an Imagineer who helped <laughs> who helped craft yeah. the entertainment. It's like, this is what it was supposed to be like, right? So it's not just us making stuff up.
1: Yeah. yeah. So uh, so the <sighs> fact that that stuff got clawed back to be in the high touch five to six thousand dollars, you
0: know, per cruise Star yeah.
1: Wars hotel experience,
0: um, that's kind of a sore point. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that hurts, right? So we've heard that the cost to build the hotel infrastructure could be as high as $250 million. But the development cost for the entire concept of the Star Mm -hmm. Cruiser could be approaching
1: a billion dollars. Oh, yeah. Good. I mean, seriously, if you you think about the amount
0: of playtesting that had to be done. Yeah, and think about all of the people within the Disney company who are even Mm -hmm. tangentially related to the concept of Star Wars, whether Mm -hmm. it's product development, toys. Okay. Right. All those people wanted wanted a say in it or they wanted to be in meetings. Right. Mm-hmm. That's how you get to a billion dollars. Also, you know, and again, we, we heard that from somebody who absolutely should know what that number is. There you the, go. Uh, the other thing is that they were going to roll this out. Right. Anaheim in Paris. Oh, God, yeah. This was Bob Chapek's
1: dream. you know, In fact, remember, he's the one who stood on stage at the D23 Expo in the park presentation and talked this up. And he was so yeah. excited because this was the next big thing for Disney. People have always talked about, you know, what if I could stay overnight in the theme parks? What if I could, you know, hang out with the characters? And this was that. Yeah. Let's just pause here for a second, though from a damage control position. Think about when this was announced. Over in Cannes, pretty much in the same window of time, you have Kathleen Kennedy and Bob Iger at the premiere of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which relatively well received, a five-minute long standing ovation at the end. So the notion was that You took something that really should have been a black eye for Mm -hmm. the folks at at Lucasfilm and Disney, and you mitigated it by having, look at how people are embracing the new Indiana Jones film, which, by the way, will be in theaters at the end of next month. So the timing of this announcement, Len, was deliberate. And more to the point, uh, if you, you saw the language, you know, they talked about, in the release, the effect of, you know, it was a, a bold attempt and, you know, that sadly it did not, you know, succeed the way we hoped, which is why the, the final cruise will be uh, September 28th. And by the way, please explain to the people why it's September 28th.
0: <laughs> <laughs> First thing Laurel said when, uh, when I they told her the announcement uh, and mm-hmm. the closing date of September 28th, she's like, oh, that's because Disney's fiscal year oh, ends yeah. on September 30th. So they're going to take, the, take the hit in this fiscal year and Jim 250 million dollars in development costs you yeah. know when uh, when disney built something like this their mm. the depreciation schedule is at oh, yeah. least 20 years and more mm. like 30 yeah so that means they have to accelerate the depreciation mm-hmm. um, i think into this year uh, assuming they're not going to do anything else you know with it that's that's going to be a chunk of depreciation i don't know how it, it's all going it, to work it from an is. accounting perspective mhm but yeah yeah, but that's why. That's why the last voyage is September twenty eighth. They they don't want to, they don't want to take the hit in fiscal year twenty twenty four.
1: What's interesting, you just mentioned, you know, you know, to the effect of what else they're going to do with this, and I think that's where this gets interesting.
0: Let's answer the first question: Can it be a standalone hotel? I do not believe so. Right. There, so there's a number of problems with it being a standalone hotel. One is. There's no windows. There's yep. no pool. There's only one restaurant. There's no yep. proper guest services desk. And not for nothing, the rooms are 180 square feet. 180 square yeah. feet. They the, are tiny.
1: They are not meant to be stayed in. The irony is Governor DeSantis did talk about building a building prison. next a prison? To get <laughs>
0: property.
1: You know, I mean... I, 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 I'm right. thinking, you know, that, that, hey, do you want to get a jump start on this? Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> Can you tell the, the DICE folks how you describe, and when you pull up to the outside of the Galactic Star
0: Cruiser uh, building. Uh, it what, looks like what, the what, world's what? sturdiest waste management facility. Okay? No, we <laughs> It's just like, we're but, building, like, my God, this 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 waste management facility is built to withstand a Florida hurricane. This is amazing.
1: <laughs> well, there we go. But, but I, th- I think that the modifier that I love that you included, it's the world's most attractive East German waste
0: treatment plan. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Because when you're going through it, there are multiple security checkpoints. Oh, yes. yes. And <laughs> it's all surrounded by fence, fences topped with barbed wire. There you like, go. They're not, they're not fooling around there. Yeah. You know. Now. All right. So I don't think I don't think it can be a hotel. But
1: could it be an add-on to, I mean, think about it. There is that discrete shuttle facility that was built And the truck that you you climb on board, you know, and they trundle you, you know, from supposedly from deep space or in orbit above the planet about to down to.
0: But here's here's the thing, right? Okay, mm let's say they they make it a hotel, right? right? The bridge, the stuff on the bridge, the engineering room, like all Mm -hmm. of the different areas, those aren't going to be staffed with the same number of people that we have on the Galactic Star Cruiser. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. you're back to Star Cruiser prices, and we know that didn't work. Right. So now you're in a semi-empty, mm-hmm. it's basically, you're in a semi-empty hotel. Jim, I'm thinking, you know, here, if they could somehow get the rights from Stanley Kubrick, we could have <laughs> The Shining in space. Oh,
1: oh, <laughs> this concerns me in, in, in many ways.
0: But, but now that we say that, right, I yep. was pitched the idea, mm. bear with me here. All right, think yep. broad concept, right? This didn't mm. work as a Star Wars franchise. Mm -hmm. But, Jim, there is one space-based franchise that Disney owns Mm -hmm. that would be immensely Mm -hmm. popular here. And I'm thinking, Jim, Mm -hmm. Pigs in Space. (gasps) Frights! Frights! Pig, the Muppet Galactic Star Cruiser. Oh...
1: Ha- this is the first time I'm hearing this. We're going to get
0: off this call. We're ready to treatment for it right now.
1: <laughs> I, 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 I'm sorry. I'm channeling my inage, Philip J. Fry. Take
0: my money. Shut up and take my money now. Shut <laughs> up and take my money
1: now. Exactly. Yes. But Pigs in space, the Star Cruiser. But toward this end, the problem is the very thing you mentioned. The end of the fiscal year, looking to depreciate this as quickly as possible so they can explore other options. There may be, strictly for tax reasons, Len, a, a reason why this has to this facility has to stand empty for a while. For a while, yeah, I believe you it. Know. Yeah. So when they announced this yesterday, one of the things Disney put out there was the effect of
0: okay, we're pausing. We're pausing reservations. bookings. Yeah, pausing reservations. By the way, did you notice they, they eliminated all the discounts because, ironically, now the demand is oh, is huh. high. People yeah. are like, well, I've only got till the end of September to do this. No, that's it exactly. Let me say, Jim, I I would go again. I would do it one more time. I would totally do. You it know one more there's
1: time. a part of me that that same yeah. thing but it would kind of make me set I mean half the fun look what makes Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser work is the cast.
0: Oh, they are
1: 100% yeah. 100%. Yeah. And it just it kind of breaks my heart that the people who are this crazy dedicated to make this amazing stage space work are going to be out of a job on oh, September
0: twenty eighth. I, I, I did this. Uh, I did this radio interview with a station in Texas earlier today, and one of the yep. things I said was, on my first Star Cruiser experience, I mm-hmm. had like a two minute one on one with Ray, mm-hmm. where we talked about you know my life's journey and how mm-hmm. it's important to be a force for good, mm-hmm. and and I said it that like that two minutes was was more valuable to me than six months of therapy. Like I felt good about, <laughs> uh, not kidding. No, I am no, not no, exaggerating. No. I, re, I remember at, you oh, saying this. I got more out of that yep. than six months of therapy. Yeah. And I, and to this day, like I carry that with me. Like, mm. and and it was acting right. And you know, somebody was being paid to talk to me. I would also point out that therapists are paid to talk to me. There That's we go. That's fine. There right. We go. It's but it's it's what you get out of it, not the surroundings. Right. And and that that was the thing to me. Like that cast. Mm-hmm. Is so talented. Yeah, they you don't. just there has to be a mm-hmm. use for that talent mm-hmm. somewhere in this company. There has to be. So I think they'll all be okay. But man, oh, that was great. Yeah, it was.
1: It was. And and I remember you know the, you talking about that interaction with Ray, and you mm-hmm. also talking about how seeing the Yoda hologram.
0: I still don't know how they did the Unihologram. If any of this equipment ever ends up in, in Cast Connection, I'm yeah. buying it. Yeah. Well,
1: no, 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 absolutely. But I, I also remember
0: this, Len telling me these two things
1: totally colored my... Uh, Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser experience because he explained, well, you know, the only way I got in the room with Ray and the only way I saw that this Yoda, you know, was I like completed all these tasks. So I'm this ridiculous sweaty bastard over, <laughs> yeah,
0: remember, yeah. you know, in Blackfire <laughs> Outpost because it's like, come it's on, like 90 gotta, degrees, you're wearing a robe running around the screen. That's exactly. Central and it's, like,
1: you know, it's <laughs> like, like, come on, come on, we got to do another task. And, you know, I got to get in that <laughs> robe, you know,
0: so. It, it combined all of the uh, all of the the joy of child labor pre industrial revolution with there high tech care. and Star Wars. Yeah, go. oh, I'm gonna miss it though. You know, and you got to give Dizzy credit. Like it, it it didn't work out. They swung for the fences. You've Got to give them credit for it.
1: But the other thing, in fact, I, I forget who it was on their, their Twitter feed today that was pointing this out. It's like, you know, there are people. Oh, this will have a chilling effect. On you know these sorts of high touch you know interactive experiences, and it's like, wait a minute, yeah, meow wolf, yeah, meow wolf, exactly, sleep no more. I mean, you know that these things succeeded, these things kept going because yeah. they had a reasonable uh, a price point. In our conversations with the folks who went with us on that cruise, uh, they said two things. They they enjoyed it immensely, but then when asked, would you do it again? And they had that two-tier response to the effect of, it would have to be at a lower price point, and there'd
0: have to be another storyline. Yeah, and those are the two things, yeah. I I, I totally get a lot of it, yeah. Ah, yeah, it's uh, sad to see it happen. But, yeah, I agree. Um, but I, I'm I'm glad we did it. I am. I I, I treasure well. the memories. Honestly, I do. Like I don't I, I don't I don't think about the money. I think about uh, you know, what we got out of it. And I'm, no, I'm totally, happy for it. Totally. So, all right folks, that's the end of our uh, of our real quick uh, update. We'll uh, we'll go on with the rest of the show now. All right folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim tells us about the Indiana Jones Summer of Hidden Mysteries promotion at Disneyland Park in 2008. We'll be right back. Okay, quick question. How many of you
1: have actually gone through the effort to cancel a subscription recently? And if so, may I ask, did you pack a lunch first? Because based on my own personal experience, this can be a very time-consuming activity. You typically wind up spending hours on the phone with customer service, listening to hold music that slowly turns your brain to mush. Or you can exchange a seemingly endless series of emails with the very same company, trying to get them to shut your account down, only to then essentially be told, since you didn't use the phrase mother may I in your reply, we're now going to bill you for another month of that service you don't actually use. Which I don't know about you folks, but this sort of thing where a company it deliberately makes it as difficult as possible to cancel a subscription it just drives me crazy. This is why I love Rocket Money. The personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions monitors your spending and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Trust me, folks, you really want to check out Rocket Money. Over 80% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about, and chances are you're one of them. And what's great about this personal finance app is, well, Rocket Money can quickly and easily find your subscriptions for you. And for any you don't want to pay for anymore, just hit cancel, and Rocket Money will cancel them for you. It's that easy. Rocket Money also helps you manage all of your finances in one place and automatically categorizes your expenses, so you can easily track your budget in real time and also get alerted if things look off for some reason. Have to admit, I was kind of shocked to see how many times a week Rocket Money says Nancy and I visit our local Target, which is why I'm beginning to think we should probably get our mail forwarded there. Look. Stop throwing your money away, cancel unwanted subscriptions, and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com disneydish Disney Dish. That's rocketmoney.com disneydish Disney Dish. One more time, for you folks who are listening to this podcast in the backseat of your car, rocketmoney.com disneydish Disney Dish, we thank them for sponsoring today's show.
0: All right, Jim, last week we talked about the Aladdin's Oasis Dinner show, or the meal show at uh, at Disneyland, mm-hmm. and how it only lasted one summer. But that wasn't the end of it, was it? No, no. Though so, before
1: we get started here, I, I want to uh, give a shout out to Disney Dish listener Gary Fernando some amazing photos oh yeah well gary and his family actually made it to aladdin's oasis in august of the year the show debuted uh that that would have been 1993 just a few weeks after this dining experience opened at the park and he as len has mentioned he sent some amazing photographs of the place when it was packed and he told the story about his family uh, there were 10 of them. Uh, my, uh, He says, my mom's brothers and their spouses and my cousins. And this was also Gary's very first trip to any Disney park. So oh, as I wow. recall, Mother Fernando was so excited about Aladdin's Oasis that she actually sacrificed the opportunity to have breakfast with her family at the Plaza Inn. And at, <laughs> and at rope drop, get ran into Adventureland so she could secure seats for her party of 10 for this new dining adventure. And uh, as Gary pointed out, this was in the era prior to ADRs. Oh, beautiful. And the thing I loved is he actually saved the brochure. He did, he did. And in fact, what I love about this is we now, Thanks to Gary, we have an insight into how Disney marketed this in the first summer. So the brochure, he included an image of the brochure that guests were handed as they came through the turnstiles at, at, at Disneyland. So oh, the cover God. is the genie as the waiter, a as a waiter from that film's Friend Like Me number. And the cover says, we're granting wishes for a dining adventure. Enjoy a royal feast and a magical adventure at Aladdin's Oasis. And then on the inside, there's a description of what this sixth century supper club would have been like. So it's discover a whole new world of food, fun, and adventure at Aladdin's Oasis, the newest show at Disneyland. Enter the Marketplace Restaurant in the fabled city of Agrabah and enjoy the escapades of Aladdin, Princess Jasmine, and the sinister Sorcerer Jafar. It's another adventurous tale of the lamp and more. There's dancing, singing, and lots of laughs, even a chance to meet your favorite character,
0: and of course, a royal feast. Join the adventure today. Just the marketing was beautiful for... Also, Jim, <laughs> uh, 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 real quick before you begin, yep. I note that uh, 1993 was still when American Express was sponsoring uh, the parks and and was the official card. Let me just say this, Jim, as someone who worked for American Express for decades. It's entirely possible, this is my new theory, Mm -hmm. the parks have been going to hell ever since American Express stopped handing out those fanny packs (laughs) in the mid-1990s. That's my theory, continue on with your story. Okay, wow. (laughs)
1: I now suddenly know what I'm going to go try to find on eBay. Okay. So as we mentioned in the last week's show, Aladdin's Oasis, the dinner adventure, only operated for 14 months. It closed in August of 1994. Yeah. But just to clarify here, uh, the Aladdin's Oasis show closed after a 14-month run, but because the park had spent so much money building this new Adventureland restaurant, it had been a rush job going from concept to throwing open its doors in just five months on Michael Eisner's express orders. In an effort to recover some of that money, Aladdin's Oasis in 1995 reopened as just a restaurant in Adventureland that didn't have a show. People oohed and odd at the exquisite detail. We talked on the last show about the inlaid ceramic tile, not to mention that 15-foot-tall tiger's head that sat in the center of the stage of the restaurant. Uh, this was the Cave of Wonders for Aladdin's Oasis. Admittedly, beautiful venue, but uh, Disney visitors in the 1990s weren't all that adventurous, at least when it came to food. And a restaurant that served Americanized Middle Eastern fare, it was just having trouble attracting customers back then, which is why the only a restaurant version of Aladdin's Oasis closes in 1995. And huh. then you you understand how theme parks operate financially. I mean, it, 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 this wasn't. Uh, a can situation. we sing the Can we sing the depreciation song there, now?
0: There Depreciation. We go
1: takes decades
0: yeah go ahead. Well, that,
1: that's it exactly i mean it wasn't a case of okay this didn't work tear it down it's like no yeah. no we it has to stay on the books for tax purposes
0: yeah. for the accountants are lighting piles of money on fire in the back to cook kebabs yeah.
1: <laughs> yes, so sure. so what ends up happening is that to try and get some of the money back i Disney would periodically try to find other uses for this space like, for example for a time there was story time with aladdin and Jasmine stage inside inside of this this now vacant restaurant. Uh, two cast members dressed as Aladdin and Jasmine would first tell the story from the Aladdin movie, and then as this this show's finale, the Cave of Wonders would suddenly come roaring to life and in a puff of smoke, the genie would magically leap out of the giant stone tiger's open mouth and and then it was time for the guests to line up and get their pictures taken with these three characters from Aladdin and maybe grab an autograph or two. This is the most expensive photo op in the history of Disney theme parks. That's exactly! This is why Storytime with, with Aladdin and Jasmine was only presented in the park on a seasonal basis only during those times when Disneyland was busiest and they needed that additional capacity. But for the most part, this Adventureland eatery uh, stayed empty for the better part of a decade, Land, until word came from Lucasfilm in 2007 that they were about to begin production of a new Indiana Jones movie. Which one was this? This was Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh, I saw this in theaters. Okay, I remember. Yeah. Okay. So now, given that the previous Indiana Jones, third in the series, Last Crusade, came out in May of 1989 to get a brand
0: new indie film after 18 years was a very big deal. I'm, I'm telling this to Laurel every day because of the new film that's coming out. is like, this is a once-in-a-generation thing. I don't know how much more time we or Harrison Ford have on this planet. <laughs> oh, let's, go, let's go see the film.
1: <laughs> Put a little gas in your tank here, Linda. The, the, the stat you need to cite to the, the, the Laurel is it's been 15 years and change since we got one of these. I mean, wow. You know, Len, it just occurred to me, Indiana Jones is part cicada. <laughs>
0: <laughs> kind of on a 17-year cycle. Wow. Okay. The, the, well, the next one we're going to get is the return of Haley's Comet. Okay. There, there we right. go. There we Indiana go. Indiana Jones and the Return of the Comet. All right. I, you know what? That's actually not a bad script title.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, again. <laughs> okay. Uh, right. Folks okay. who are listening on okay. right. that check goes to lentesta All right. Okay. All
0: right. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. Anyway, uh, so late, late 2007, early 2008. There we go. All
1: right. So given that Disneyland. Obvious already has its Indiana Jones Adventureland attraction, you know, the Temple of Forbidden Eye, which opened back in March of 1995. They saw the upcoming release of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which would arrive in theaters on May 22nd, 2008. That's 15 years to the day that this particular uh, edition of Disney ish debuts online. Good, good timing, Jim. What can I say? Thank you for suggesting awesome. the story idea. But anyway, Disney sees this as a synergistic opportunity. So Disney reaches out to Lucasfilm and proposes a bit of cross promotion that would involve Disneyland. This is back in 2007, 2008. The Walt Disney okay. Company will not acquire Lucasfilm till October of 2012. That's more than Ooh. four years off in the future. So, this is a
0: negotiation. Yes.
1: And and also, uh. this is also a negotiation where Lucasfilm, because it has the highly anticipated film that Disney now wants to capitalize on, they have all the power in this situation. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you need to understand that as we, we, we go forward with the story. So,. March of 2008, Disneyland announces it's holding auditions for a new show, which will be presented in the Adventureland area of the park. Uh, They're looking for performers with stage combat experience to fill the following roles. Uh, Indiana Jones, rugged adventurer, has to be in great shape, can play drama, toss off comic lines, and throw a punch. Must interact
0: well with children, though. Okay, and it's important that there's a semicolon there <laughs> in that clause. Okay. After the, the throwing the punch and then semicolon must interact with children. There we go. Common, not parentheses. We okay. <laughs> <All right. laughs> okay, we,
1: we also... important, <laughs> We also have a archaeologist, a female character, late... Yeah, somewhere between late 20s, early 40s, English accent starts out kind and helpful, but it eventually reveals a villainous side. Also must be able to interact with children and lead them through a series of activities. That's got to be kind of confusing to hear, must act well with children twice in regard to the show. But the Indiana Jones and the Secret of the Stone Tiger This was supposed to be a live-action adventure that was staged several times a day in Adventureland in the old Aladdin's Oasis Cafe, with the idea being, uh, over the summer of 2008, coming on the heels of the uh, theatrical release of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. In fact, the Disneyland show was supposed to begin performances in the park on the very same day that Indy 4 opened in theaters, which, again, May 22nd, 2008. But Disneyland guests particularly the younger guests were supposed to join Dr. Jones and help him solve mysteries, battle evil villains and uncover ancient mysteries. So there were elements of this spread throughout the, the entirety of Adventureland. but we're mostly focusing today on, on the uh, secret of the stone tiger show, which again, Aladdin's oasis, but the overarching name for this three month long promotion was Indiana Jones summer of the hidden mysteries. There was definitely an agenda here. What the folks at Disneyland were hoping to do was the Secret of the Stone Tiger show would turn into the park's next Jedi Training Academy.
0: I was just going to say this sounds a lot like Jedi Training. Okay, all right. There that we makes go. Sense.
1: And, and just to give you a little background there, Jedi Training Academy also started out as a, a an offering at a limited time event. It, it debuted yeah. at the very first Star Wars weekend at, at Disney-MGM back in February of 97. and. That wasn't, again, First Star Wars Weekend wasn't done to promote the prequels. It was actually to promote the special editions, those expanded enhanced versions of, uh, you know, A New Hope, Empire, and Return of the Jedi. The Jedi Academy turns out to be so popular with the under 10 crowd that eventually gets pulled out of this seasonal event and turned into an audience petition experience that gets offered multiple times a day at Disney's Hollywood Studios as well as out in Anaheim at Disneyland Park. That's our template. You know, that's what, what Disneyland's entertainment is shooting for. They they want a 15-minute long sh- audience participation show themed around okay. the adventures of Indiana Jones that could then be, be presented inside of the the Aladdin's oasis. So it's like, hey, we're, we're not depreciating anymore. We're using it. And we also have something that appeals to 10-year-olds. So great idea on paper. All right. But much harder to pull
0: off in the real world than you might think. Really, so uh, so it was harder to do than Jedi Training Academy, or it was received differently. What was the uh, what were the issues? Lucasfilm has all the power in this situation, and they have
1: a new film that you know, The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. They want to promote, and in that movie, the villain is Irina Spalko. She is a Soviet scientist played by Kate Blanchett. So, to have some sort of continuity between Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, the movie, and The Secret of the Stone Tiger stage stunt show, uh, it was decided that the villain of this kid-friendly audience participation show at Disneyland would also be female. A 15-minute log show starts with Dr. Rachel Flannery standing in front of the Cave of Wonders inside of the uh, Aladdin's Oasis restaurant, only according to Rachel, these Long abandoned ruins are now the Bengalese temple of Sherdil, the
0: tiger god. You know what? Americans aren't great with geography. This is probably okay. Go ahead. (laughs) Fine. 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 There we go. As
1: Dr. Flannery explains, Indiana Jones recently rediscovered this temple and has gone inside. While he's in there, Indy was supposedly searching for the Golden Rod of Shadrill, which is this ancient object that is rumored to have great mystical powers. But it's been days since anybody's seen Dr. Jones. Rachel recruits the help of the kids in the audience. And by using various clues scattered around Aladdin's oasis, they figure out how to reopen the now-sealed temple of Shadrill. Okay. And it's at this point that, that Indiana Jones comes stumbling out of the Stone Tiger's mouth, clutching the Golden Rod of Shadrill. Ta da! Okay, good show so far. All right, okay. I'm with you. So now Indy is thanking the kids in the audience for helping him to get out of the sealed uh, the temple. And as he's doing that, he puts down the Golden Rod of Shadrill. So Dr. Flannery now picks it up and seemingly suddenly gets possessed. By the demonic spirit of
0: Kartikeya, the Hindu god of war. Oh, so uh, so the dinner show turns into the Exorcist. Well,
1: yes, you know. Yeah, get
0: together. yeah. Okay, yeah. You know what? You know what? Let's let's. Let's let's take this train where, where it goes. Go ahead. What happens next?
1: <laughs> Hello, 10-year-olds. <laughs> okay, so Indy now realizes Dr. Flannery is holding the golden rod of Shadril and is, is possessed by Kartikeya, the Hindu god of war. He first tries to wrestle that ancient artifact out of her hands, but Rachel, because she's possessed by the Hindu god of war, is now super powerful. So she punches Indy a few times, and he punches her back. This does not go well with the Mothers of Orange County. There's a man beating up a woman in a show at Disneyland. To which the entertainment team at that theme park originally said, well, well, no, that's Indiana Jones battling with a fellow archaeologist who's possessed by Kartikeyu, the super powerful Hindu god of war, and he's battling with a female character just like he does in in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which, by the way, just opened in a theater near you, and uh, it doesn't matter mothers of Orange County are outraged. They march en masse down to Disneyland's guest relations to lodge their complaints, which is why Lent, just days after Indiana Jones and the Secret of the Stone Tiger show opens at the park, in an interview with the Orange County Register, the PR team announces that the secret of the Stone Tiger Show uh, would now be altered. <laughs> and he's now not yeah, going to throw any on. direct punches at, at the woman character. Uh, he's just going to dodge, you know, uh, at her. and. Okay.
0: All right. Fair. And, fair, and fair. speaking
1: of dodging, another thing that upset the mothers of Orange County, as well as a significant number of Disneyland guests, was that. In the agreement that Disney had cut with Lucasfilm to have the Indiana Jones character appear in that theme park during the Summer of a Hidden Mysteries, the cast member playing Indy was not allowed to meet with guests in your typical meet-and-greet format. Really? Yeah. That's that's crazy. They didn't want to pay for it, the extra time? Well, it's it's supposedly uh, part of the problem is Indy is so closely associated with Harrison Ford. That oh, okay. The fear was that it, it would be a likeness issue. I, I've also heard, oh, okay. to be honest, that this may be
0: part of Harrison Ford's contract. Oh, that no one can, can portray him in a theme park? Yeah. Oh, I, I believe that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's different with it's different with Johnny Depp because you can apply a bunch of makeup. No, no, no. That's it exactly. Yeah, okay, okay. Ah, you know what? Like, I guess, okay. I yeah.
1: but, but anyway, long story short, that meant that no one came away with a photo of or an autograph from their favorite archaeologist. Which meant that a lot of little kids walked away from Indiana Jones and The Secret of the Stone Tiger Show in tears. Not because Indy beat up that lady, but because Dr. Jones wouldn't sign their autograph book. You saw Last Crusade, right? Yep. Okay. Do you remember the moment in that movie where Henry Jones Jr. and Henry Jones Sr. find themselves in Berlin and... Actually, yeah. come across a book burning rally and an indie Hitler's there. Yeah, well, no, and, and not <laughs> yeah. only that, but Hitler winds up signing Dr. Henry Jones's
0: oh, I forgot real diary. Sorry, yeah.
1: So Hitler will do autographs, all right. But,
0: but, Indiana, <laughs> but not Jones Indiana Jones won't. Jones. <laughs> okay.
1: yeah. So all right. Anyway, this is largely right. largely why uh, Indiana Jones and the Secret of the Stone Tiger Show didn't become the next Jedi Academy. By the fall of 2008, the only indie related thing that was left operating in Adventureland was Temple of the Forbidden Eye. This is why some 10 years later, after Aladdin's oasis had experienced sufficient depreciation that it could now officially be taken off of Disneyland's books, this long, empty Adventureland venue was torn down in early 2018 and yeah. then turned into the Tropical Hideaway, which uh, soft-opened in December of that same year, which kind of appropriate that it's soft-opened, given that they serve all sorts of dough Whip there, along with bao buns and sticky pork.
0: So it, t- so it took 25 years.
1: Yeah, you know, t- well, what are the point? Uh, what I'm fascinated by is they closed the Tahitian Terrace, which operated for 30 years, with some of the same menu, and, and <laughs> we, we've come full circle. <laughs>
0: it's old as new again, Jim.
1: There it's you go. There we go. So, uh, and it just it's it kind of interesting now that Disney owns Indiana Jones. In fact, I don't know if you saw the news coming out of the upfronts at ABC, but starting this month, all four of the previous Indiana Jones films, in addition to the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, are going to be oh. available for viewing over on uh, Disney Plus. So. Oh, fantastic. I don't think Laurel's actually seen the uh, the all of the movies, so that'll be uh, okay. something good to prep with before we see it. All right. Have some adult beverages available. You know, that, that
0: you may n- need to nurse her through certain sections. Yeah, the first one was kind of great. I mean, the first one's a classic. Oh, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the show today. You can help support our show and Jim Hill Media by subscribing over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. On next week's show... Jim gives us the history of changes to the pool area at Disneyland's Hotel and how it reflects and predicts Disney's larger efforts on how it presents the parks to us as guests. You can find more of Jim at gmailmedia.com, and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who'll be singing All's Well That Ends Well with Rainbow Kitten Surprise, live on stage on Sunday, June 11th, 2023, starting at 7 p.m. at the Shelburne Museum on Shelburne Road, in beautiful downtown Shelburne, Vermont. And Jim, let me just say that the Shelburne Museum on Shelburne Road in downtown Shelburne, Vermont, Hmm. reflects the sort of direct sensibilities that you Northeasterners have (laughs) in naming conventions. Anyway, while Aaron's doing that, please go on to iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.